Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. I hope your day is going well and that your week is really going well and is ending well. And if not, well, we've got some things to work on. And I know I've had weeks like that as well. I've had days like that. Sometimes I maybe I feel like I've had years like that. But, you know, God is always doing a new thing, and he is a God that we can trust. And if you're just tuning in today, this whole entire week is on the issue of trust. Trust versus mistrust. And we talked a lot yesterday about these psychological um, stages of development that humans go through as they are becoming full and complete humans. And the first stage that we go through is this trust versus mistrust, and that has everything to do with our primary caregivers. It's a lot of responsibility, especially for moms who are generally the primary caregiver for infants from zero to two years old. And so we talked yesterday about what happens when we don't get those primary needs met. Because you see, as infants, even toddlers, up until about the age of 6, 12, we see our parents as gods. And we think they are all-powerful and all-knowing. And this is where we learn to trust, because we either have caregivers that are trustworthy or caregivers that are not. And usually most of us have ones that are in between. Because the majority of humans really want to do well by their kids. But they are fallen. They are mistake-making. And they do come with their own hurts from their own childhood. And their parents, and their parents, and their parents. And it goes all the way back, you know, truly to the days of Noah. So many of us had parents or caregivers that maybe, you know, handled our infancy and our our very early stages well. And it caused us to be risk takers. And it causes us to trust before we mistrust. And it causes us to have hope. Because you see... The virtue that follows trust, if I am able to learn trust, the virtue that follows that is hope. So our trust, though, truly must always be first in God. And I was talking yesterday about the nice thing about growing up is that we are dependent solely on God then, on God and on ourselves. And if we choose to be interdependent with other humans, it's even easier. But truly, God is the father we go home to, and he is, overall, the primary caregiver of this world. And he's wanting us to be the primary caregiver of ourselves so that we can give to ourselves the things that our parents maybe failed to give us or didn't have to give us. Maybe they never received it. So it's imperative that as we work on this growing up and healing from having imperfect caregivers, that we become trustworthy and trustworthy with ourselves. So let's first look at this idea of why we can trust in God. And the main thing is, God is not a God that lies. 
It's amazing to think that a, a God that is limitless puts limits on himself. He limits himself. That's what makes him so safe. He could override our free will. He could turn us all into robots and have us be perfect people, and he could control us at every moment. He chooses to limit that so that he limits his power to not cross a boundary into our own free will. And he limits himself when it comes to choices. He does not lie. He is a God that does not lie. So that's our hope. That if God says, I don't lie, that's not a virtue of mine. That's not a characteristic. That's not within my moral code. That is not something that is not a line I'm going to cross. I do not lie. So what does that mean? We must work our way down to do I trust myself? Do I trust others? Because it's natural for humans to want to trust other humans first before they trust themselves and certainly before they trust an entity which is intangible like God. And that comes from that age from zero to two when we had to trust our caregivers. We didn't really have any other choice. If we didn't have a caregiver, we would not survive longer than probably a couple of days or a week at longest. So we learned very quickly to trust humans. Even if they're not trustworthy, we kept wanting to hope in them. So where true hope lies, that's what we want to think about. That we can trust God implicitly. He is a God that does not lie. And that is where hope is. I trust in God, so I have hope for my life. And I love this verse. This is First Peter verses one, this, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And this says, Praise to God for a living hope. That's the title of it. It says, Praise be to God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's the key right there. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. So regardless of what happened to us in our childhood, it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. It's also going to take some trust in God. That God has given us a new birth, which means that I am brand new. I am born again. And my trust now lies in God, a living hope. That he's perfect and he doesn't lie. And so instead of trusting always in humans and depending on humans, which is natural for me to do, my effort becomes trusting, depending on God, my true father, which is who I truly first came from. That's that Psalms 139. I was an idea in his head. And he knit me together in my mother's womb. And he says, I'm beautifully and wonderfully made. And so the new, the hope that we have comes from this new birth that we have in Christ. That I get to start over. And I get to recognize that, you know, I was born into this world. I depended on humans who were injured themselves from maybe their own caregivers and their caregivers were injured from their caregivers and so on and so forth all the way back. 
And so God says, but I'm the primary caregiver. And now that you are old enough intellectually to comprehend that I'm going to give you a new birth so that your dependency is on me. And as you depend on me and learn to trust in me, then you are given a living hope. And he goes on to say, this, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So I think this is really important. And I love the verse in Isaiah. This is one of my life verses. This is out of the Message Bible. And this is chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. And God is saying, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Now, that's funny for a therapist to say, I know. But there comes a point in my life and in yours where I need to say, I have a new life. God has given me a new life as an adult. I, I don't say this to little kids, all right? And I don't say this to people in the very beginning of therapy. I don't say, ah, forget about it. Don't keep going over old history. No, we go over the old history. And we parse it out, and we work it through, and we look at it. So that God can say to me, and I can say, forget about it. It's in the past. I'm now finally living in present and future. And the past no longer defines me. The past no longer creates my feeling states. The past no longer determines my future. The past is truly the past, and it is dead. And God, as my primary caregiver, and me as my primary caregiver, can be trustworthy with myself. And I can undo what was done. And I can redo it. And I have a perfect father now. I have a perfect parent now. Because as an adult, I can comprehend God. As an infant... At one years old or two years old, I can't comprehend God. I have to depend on my caregivers. So let's go back to this verse in Isaiah. It says, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. And that's what I say to you today. God wants to do a brand new thing in you. He does not want the past to continue to be reiterated, to continue to be repeated and, and driving a groove in your mind and in your heart. God wants to say, I'm doing a new thing. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. He's providing for us now what we needed growing up that we never got. And he's saying, I'm doing a new thing. You have a rebirth, a new birth. And we can live that out. And he goes on to say, hey, wild animals are even going to say thank you. The coyotes and the buzzards. Because I provided water in the desert, rivers through a sun-baked earth. 
So he's saying to us here, not only are you going to be thankful, but a lot of things around you are going to be thankful for what I'm doing in your life. He goes on to say, because I provided water in the desert, rivers through the sun-baked earth, drinking water for the people I chose, the people I made especially for myself, a people custom made to praise me. So he says he's making a road through the desert of your life. And he's bringing rivers in the badlands. Whatever was bad, whatever was parched, whatever was empty, whatever you didn't get that need met, he's saying, I'm doing something brand new. I love that. It's always so encouraging for me when I read that verse. And I recognize that God is doing new things and I need to perceive it. So I want you to think about this saying that, that, that I came up with. It really helped me make sense of things. It says, trust is earned, and through history, it is built and established. See, God works and works hard at establishing trust with us. He works hard at this. It's very humbling to think he would work this hard. And we talked yesterday about maybe you have that person in your life that no matter how often you do it right, no matter how consistent you might be, you do one tiny thing wrong, and it's as if the entire history that you built with them is gone, that you're constantly having to prove yourself to them. Well, you know, this is, this is how God feels with us. And I want to be that person that says, God, you have great history with me, and I'm not going to erase that history simply because today didn't work out. I trust in you, God. I trust your character. I trust your heart. I trust your moral code. I trust your purity and your holiness. And I can trust in you. Now, I like this, this particular man. His name is Dr. Dwayne C. Tway, Jr. And this is from his 1993 dissertation. And it is called A Constructive Trust. And I refer to this frequently because I like how he put this together. And so he defines trust as a state of readiness for unguarded interaction with someone or something. I love that. A state of readiness for unguarded interaction. Isn't that, it's a contradiction kind of. I'm, it's a state of readiness, but it's unguarded. It's an unguarded interaction with someone or something. This is what we do when we get on airplanes. We're at a state of readiness with an unguarded interaction with the airplane, with the pilot, with the, with the attendants. We're trusting that we're going to get there. And for most of us, there's not a whole lot of anxiety. We're just trusting. And what is it we're trusting in? It's pretty amazing. So he developed this model of trust, and it includes three components. And he calls these, uh, this trust, this construct of trust, because he constructed these three components. And this is the capacity for trusting. The first one is the capacity for trusting. The second one is the perception of competence. And the third one is the perception of intention. So we're going to look at these one at a time. So this is how trust is made up. It's, it's, it's made up of the interaction and the existence of these three components. That's what trust is. So the first one is a capacity for trusting. The capacity for trusting means that your total life experiences have, has developed your current capacity and willingness to risk trusting 
others. So I want you to think about that. What is your capacity for trust? How guarded are you? How skeptical? How suspicious are you? Do you believe the worst until people prove that they're not bad and then maybe you'll trust them a little bit? Or are you other, the other way around? Your capacity for trust might be too big. You are over-trusting to the point of denial. And so you just keep wanting to believe what you want to believe, even if they prove you wrong. So you stay in relationships that are abusive. Or if your capacity for trust is very small, then you miss out on a whole bunch of relationships. So this means that your, your entire life experience has developed the current capacity for trust and your willingness to risk. So if you haven't resolved many of the issues that have occurred in your life where people have wronged you, hurt you, abandoned you, abused you, stolen from you, slandered you, whatever it is that they have done, if you haven't come to the point of reconciling that, recognizing that that doesn't mean the whole world is that way, that you're able to encapsulate that as an event and not see that as the overarching reality of the world, that you're able to say, you know what, that was one person, one event, and I can put boundaries around that. And I still can have capacity to trust and a willingness to risk with humans. And that's a very adult way of approaching our life, is that we are wise as serpent, gentle as doves, right? We are wise. But wise doesn't mean suspicious or skeptical or judgmental or on guard all the time, heavily guarded. So the second one, this is the perception of competence. And the perception of competence is made up of your perception of your ability and the ability of others with whom you work to perform competently at whatever is needed in any current situation. So this means that if I'm in, endeavoring on a romantic relationship, the perception of competence is made up of my perception, how I perceive your ability to handle a romantic relationship. And the perception of competence is also about how I perceive my own ability. So if I don't trust me, I'm going to struggle in trusting you. And if I refuse to trust you, and it's inappropriate, that lack of trust is inappropriate, I'm going to eventually ruin that relationship. That person is going to get exhausted. He's going to, that person is going to be tired of being mischaracterized or constantly being seen as um, doing something on the sly or that somehow you're not as trustworthy as I want you to be and you constantly have to prove yourself to me. That can, it gets exhausting. So this perception of competence, this is where you want to really do some internal soul, see- soul searching and saying, what is my ability to relate with others? What is my ability to perform this job? What is my level of ability, my competency in being a parent, being a pet owner, being an owner of a business? This is how I learn to trust myself. If I am honest with myself about my 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 level of ability, how I perceive my competency. And I may need to get some coaching on that. I may need to talk to a a close friend about what that may, how do you perceive my level of competence in this area? 
And so the third one is the perception of intentions. And this is defined by Dr. Tway as that your perception that the words, the actions, the direction, mission, or decisions are motivated by mutually serving rather than self-serving, self-serving motives. So think about intentionality. Do you trust this person's intention? What is your perception of their intentionality? How do they perceive your intentions? Are you creating good history for them? So that they automatically believe you have good intentions. Or are you not reliable and not trustworthy, so you are constantly having to prove that in this situation your intentions are valid, that your intentions are trustworthy? Do you assume the best before you assume the worst, or are you the person that assumes the worst and hopes they prove that they're not that bad? So where's the balance in that? And so what I want you to think about is if you start with you first and you get a level of truth and honesty and, and authenticity within you, you know you well, you will know others better. And that's really an important situation. That's really an important decision for you to make and a, a very, very important foundation for you to have. So how trustworthy am I? Because if I'm trustworthy, it's going to help me to determine how trustworthy another person is. If I feel very competent in what I'm doing, I'm going, to, I'm going to certainly usher in trustworthiness. If I know that I'm competent, they're going to borrow from my confidence. But if it's fake, if I'm performing, they're going to pick up on that on a gut level. So am I also trustworthy enough to say, hey, I'm not competent in that area. Can I refer you to somebody? Or I'm learning how to do that, so I need to let you know. And then this perception of intentions. If I know me and my intentions are noble, then my assumption is that the others is as well. If they're not, I will surely find it out sooner than much later because I will be more competent in staying out of denial. And I will say, I want to believe the best, but if I start to see things, I'm going to check it out, and I'm not going to be afraid to do it. So trust can only be established when it's based on and in truth. Because truth is the basis for psychological health and wholeness, as is trust. I can't have trust if I don't have truth. So God wants truth to the inmost parts of my being. When I am truthful with me about me, then I am better able to be truthful with others in a healthy way. The more truthful I am, the more trustworthy I am. The more I am, I'm better able to trust the world appropriately. So I'm not either all trusting or not trusting. So trust helps me trust. This is why God takes lying so seriously. Because one lie can take down years of trust. So the power of trust is immeasurable. And we're going to end with Numbers 23, verse 19. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, will he not do it? Has he spoken, will he not make it good? And that's the Isaiah 43, verse 13. They said, I'm doing a new thing. Don't you perceive it? 
This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. I want you to have a great rest of your day. Join me tomorrow as we finish up what is trust and how to do this well, how to be trustworthy. Check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.